Hello, this is Dr. Mansur Mohammed, and today we'll be mapping folate on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I have Dr. Mansoor Mohammed back at the mic with me. Dr. Mansoor is the president and CSO of The DNA Company, a leading and innovative provider of comprehensive functional genomics testing and consulting, and an industry-first, individually customized supplements. Under Dr. Mansoor's leadership, The DNA Company has pioneered the term fluency in the language of DNA and is revolutionizing the use of genomic testing toward optimized health. He is widely regarded as a pioneer in medical genomics and has been the recipient of multiple academic and industry awards, which you likely understand if you've tuned into our two-part series on methylation. I'm super excited to take our methylation combos a step further with this key nutrient, folate. Dr. Munsoor, welcome back to the 15-Minute Matrix. It's an honor. Thank you for having me back, Andrea. I am thrilled to be able to continue our conversation and talk about folate as a substrate in the continuum, the cascade that you were talking about. And I really love the term potentiation that you were speaking about. Where does folate play a role in the whole methylation cascade we were talking about? So folate is what we would consider a carrier molecule or a carrier nutrient in this cascade. Folate acts as the scaffold onto which this all-important methyl group. A methyl group is a carbon group with three hydrogens, so it's a CH3 group. That's a little geek mode for our audience. That methyl group, CH3, whenever you take a methyl group and you tag things, you bind methyl to certain things, you say that you have methylated that thing, you've methylated the substrate. And whenever a substrate is methylated, you know, it's biotransformed for sure, it's become methylated, it is often rendered less efficient, less biologically active, it is often rendered detoxified, and so on and so forth. So how does the body control access to this hugely reactive, hugely important methyl group. Because you can imagine, we said, if you bind methyl groups, CH3 groups, to things, you're dramatically biotransforming them. So bet your bottom dollar, you don't want these methyl groups floating around in your cells willy-nilly, and you certainly don't want them floating around in your cells or in your nuclei at overly high levels. But at the same time, you want them. So how does the body get around this conundrum? They need these methyl groups to do hugely important jobs, but you have to control access to these methyl groups. How does the body do this? The body does this by using certain carrier scaffolds to control access to the methyl group. And folate is one of the carrier nutrients for the methyl group. 
And when we think about folate, I'm always a food first person. Can we talk about what foods contain folate and then maybe look at who has the ability to utilize the folate in that food? Potentiation once again. Right. It's nothing simpler or as, as beautiful as my mom would say, eat your greens. Yep, exactly. Not, not really. So, you know, you've got all of your brassica and cruciferous vegetables, by and large, things with that greenish hue is a general guiding principle for folate-rich foods, and that's your dietary folate. The upshot of dietary folate, now you've got to keep in mind that that dietary folate often not necessarily always, but often is piggybacking with foods that are fiber rich. Mm -hmm. So once we start speaking of whole foods and we're speaking of a micronutrient, we got to think of the other things that are in the food as well. All right. So we're not speaking here about the appropriateness or the inappropriateness of a person's ability to handle certain fibers, but from a dietary perspective, folates, green veggies in general, eat your greens. And from a potentiation perspective, anyone generally can benefit from that dietary folate. All right. So because it is the initial step, it has not yet been bioactive. And I, you know, folks would say, well, Mansur, can you eat too much green leafy vegetables? The truth of it is you'd probably be full much sooner before you get into folate. Right. Uh, hyperdosing. I'm speaking from a dietary perspective. Right. Yeah. So we can all potentiate, again, not speaking to somebody's ability to utilize the fibers or deal with the fibers from a digestive perspective, but we can all utilize the folate in the greens. What happens when we start talking about supplementation in the Mm -hmm. methylation cascade? Because I think you and I often see people utilizing supplementation incorrectly for a person's methylation capabilities. Absolutely. And this conversation has certain predicates. And one of it is when we mention taking in that dietary folate and per our previous pod where we spoke of the methylation cycle and understanding that folate is a carrier molecule, what happens is when that dietary folate enters from the GI tract into the bloodstream, from the bloodstream into the cell, then we start to biotransform that folate. And in so doing, we potentiate it for carrying these methyl groups. Mm. Now, there are two important genes that act in perfect synchronicity and in perfect order, meaning one must always come before the other. And it is thus, you take your folate, it's converted into dihydrofolate, it is then subsequently by the job of this SHMT1 gene, serine hydroxymethyltransferase, it is converted, it is biotransformed into 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate, So we're biotransforming, we're potentiating that folate. And then finally, the gene and its encoded enzyme directly after in this cascade, MTHFR, takes the 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate and completes what we'd call the biologically active potentiated folate, 5-methyl-tetrahydrofolate, 5-MTHF, methylfolate. These are all synonyms. Now, once you understand that that is the first part of the cascade, undeniably, a logical question would come about and say, well, if 
5-methylfolate, 5-MTHF, is the sort of fulcrum-activated, potentiated folate. And of course, with modern science and modern micronutrition and nutraceuticals, and we can make 5-methylfolate, does it not seem to make sense as a nutrient, especially for those of us who can't spell green? In other words, in the sad standard American diet, we don't have, you know, very many vegetables, many right. of us. Does it not make sense that, hey, let's just cut through the system. That's what good modern science is about. And let's just all take 5-methylfolate. And this was probably somewhat logically the, the, the mean or the mode of thinking for many in the nutraceutical industry 10, 15 years ago. We said, look, 5-methylfolate is, la- is, the, is the thing, it's the biologically active thing, let's just go take it. There is a huge error in this thinking process. To clarify, we take in folate, dietary folate. Yes, it is not yet biologically active. Yes, it will be biotransformed through a couple of different steps. SHMT1 followed by MTHFR. Yes, 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, 5-methylfolate is the activated version. So now, why then would taking 5-methyltetrahydrofolate not be necessarily called upon for everyone? And the primary reason here, so just to be clear, 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, 5-MTHF, is absolutely a godsend for certain individuals. Right. It's a godsend for the individuals who pretty much everything in the cascade is working efficiently except for two things. A, for whatever reason, they're not getting good dietary folate. So that's always one of the first things you want to watch out for. And there are, by the way, there are a number of reasons beyond just simply poor diet. You know, it's why I made sure to mention the concept of the fiber that tends to be part of folate-rich foods. Some individuals, due to microbiome dysfunction and other factors, may have to avoid some of those veggies, okay? So, okay, putting that aside for the timing, that's point number one. Point number two, if only the MTHFR gene has a variation diminishing its activity, therefore diminishing the rate at which it biotransforms, it activates, it potentiates the 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate into the 5-methyltetrahydrofolate. If that's the only thing that is not happening optimally within this whole beautiful cascade, then more often than not, to a moderate degree, and again, we still have to, after saying what I'm about to say, that 5-methyltetrahydrofolate can be hugely beneficial in these individuals, we still... Andrea must exercise a little bit of more is not always better. In other words, I am somewhat aghast at the levels that are being put into supplements. Okay, so yes, it's beneficial for those individuals. I would still say we need to take a little bit of a step back in how much we're giving. But for other individuals, other than that individual for whom it is only the MTHFR variation or variations that are impacting the MTHFR enzyme that is impacting the final potentiation of the folate into 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, and that everything else in this cascade is working well, if on the other hand, as opposed to that person who will benefit from 5-MTHF at a moderate or at a suitable level, If this person, Andrea, has the classic genetic variation, and there's a very noteworthy variation in the SHMT1 gene, if the person has that variation, 
And again, going into geek mode with you a little bit, this is the well-studied SNP, single nucleotide polymorphism, known as the RS1979-277 SNP. That's the address, that's the place in the SHMT1 gene that is most studied that when that place in the gene is variable and you carry the quote-unquote less efficient suboptimal variation in the SHMT1 gene at that place, if you're that person, if you're the person that carries the A allele, the suboptimal allele, the suboptimal variation in the SHMT1 gene, and unknowingly you take excess levels or you take methylfolate to begin with, where are those methyl groups from the pre-potentiated folate now? This is folate mm -hmm. microdiction that already has methyl groups bound to it. Where is it going? It's heading off in a dysfunctional, the balance with which you want your cells to take that methylfolate determine how much of it will continue downstream of the MTHFR in the cellular methylation and how much of it goes into the nucleus to initiate DNA methylation, to initiate DNA transcriptional changes, to affect DNA stability. That decision rubric, that binary, keep within the cytoplasm and continue methylation or send to the nucleus and cause DNA methylation, when you have the SHMT1 variation and you take these hyper-5-methyl micronutrients, you completely skew that binary decision in the cell and you can send these cells into methyl toxicity. Mm. That's amazing. And my mind is just bursting. And I, I'm going to just take a little sidebar here for the clinicians that I train in full body systems and say that what you're speaking to is that first and foremost, we have to do our tier one work. We have to clear those muddy waters, make sure that the, the toxic agents that are coming in are lessened. So we clear, and then we actually make sure that we're fortifying digestion and the microbial terrain so that that person can utilize dietary folate yep. if possible. So can they digest fiber? Can they utilize fiber? Next step, I'm going to say, if we're looking at what I call tier two deficiency to sufficiency, we always need to start low and go slow. We need to see, is this right for this individual? And we often will see symptoms arise if somebody isn't in that group that can tolerate the methylated folate. I don't know if in my sidebar here, you can add something there, Dr. Munsoor, about, I know we see like dizziness. Dizziness, we right? see migraine headaches yes. for the initiation. So in fact, you know, literally serendipitously, Andre, I must admit that I've been um, on edge as to the functional community, as much as we advocate functional medicine, I must say that many functional practitioners have sort of gone the path of sometimes over-trivializing things. Yes, and just which is where I wanted to get us in my little sidebar, what I called going to tier three too quickly. So yes, I agree. <laughs> and what you have done and the way that you've laid this out is so refreshing, Andrea. I, I really mean, I'm actually exceedingly impressed with the way that you and the way you train your community. Now, as to 
Number one, serendipitously, just before I got onto this uh, call with you, I was speaking to one of our partner clinicians. They had documented in their very healthy IV, IM, sub-Q practice that they had, that there was a subpopulation of patients that whenever they would give them an IM of methylfolate, these patients within 15 minutes to 30 minutes would start to complain of nausea and yes. particularly headaches. And they would kind of complain of this fullness of the head as though there was this sort of vascular response that obviously was part and parcel of the nausea and the headache. And so what we did with this clinic, literally, Andrea, was we asked them to document those patients. Clearly not every patient had that response. Other patients would sing the songs of joy with their IM methyl and say, you know, wow, where have you been all my life? But for that group of patients, and what did we find? We found a huge preponderance in the patients that had the migraines, the headaches, the nausea, post-methylfolate with the suboptimal allele of the SHMT1 gene, exactly what we just determined. Yes. And in those patients, the moment per their, you know, per their micronutrient cocktail, whatever they were coming in for to this clinic, once that was removed, the post-nausea, post-headache all went away. So when you say once that was removed, and I, I want to thank you for the feedback, and it really is how I believe we fill some of the gaps in medicine. And I just want to say, I think so many clinicians are going too quickly to the tier three, which is what we're talking about here. When there's so many things we can do to help an individual, if we do remember to sit in the tier one and tier two, tier one being non-negotiables, tier two being deficiency to sufficiency, while we're investigating the tier three, we just wait to do the tier three, which a lot for a lot of functional practitioners is just the testing. And we have to remember they go hand in hand. There's a lot we can do. And if we just find out from the testing, we've missed opportunities to potentiate the body's ability to take in the nutrients as well. So when we're talking about that SHMT1, can you talk about what you just said a little bit more in terms of how we address those imbalances? Indeed. So oftentimes, keeping in mind that the folate and this first step in this migration, this potentiation of folate via SHMT1, via MTHFR, ultimately into 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate, that 5-MTHF does not stop there. The 5-MTHF continues on now through the job of MTR, our methionine synthase reductase. So this is the point of what comes upstream of the the MTHFR in terms of the cascade. Then there's what comes downstream, the MTR, our methionine synthase reductase, and then the methionine synthase, the MTR, which what are those things doing? Those enzymes, those genes, and their encoding enzymes, they're grabbing the methyl group from the methylfolate, and they're giving it to B12 to create methyl B12. Now, without going down any further there let me answer your question per actual clinical practice literally what we find is if we can putting aside the fiber equation exactly and beautifully as the way you've discussed it there are many patients that once we feel comfortable they're getting enough dietary folate and that we don't have to give them an im or secondary sourced folate whether it be IM, whether it be oral, and certainly not methylfolate, but then we balance their B12 consumption, that all is fine, number one. In other words, that we don't 
necessarily have to think of a micronutrient as let me go give them a purified micronutrient. We try to fix it. And in this clinic, this is an independent clinic who've said they've been able to really encourage patients, take the IM methylfolate once they've got the suboptimal SHMT1, try to bring in the whole foods perspective, again, watching the gut and so on and so forth. And these patients feel much better, often just with a bit of B12 support not going any further there. Now, a more direct quote-unquote solution is you don't have to use methylfolate. So many, if not all of these patients who had the negative response to methylfolate do wonderfully on not methylfolate, but formylfolate, i.e. folinic acid, mm. not to be confused with folic acid. Right folinic acid because the folinic acid now in some ways when you look at where it is entering the cascade it is entering the cascade essentially at the same place as the dietary folate so we return a in good clinical practice can we get this person at a more holistic digestive whole foods perspective to not need the methylfolate in the first place again right. again that is not the person who only had the MTHFR variation who does benefit from 5-methylfolate. We've taken that person away. If we cannot fix it with the whole food, fix the gut, get rid, clear the muddy waters, love the way you put this. If we can't do so, and we do need to at least bring in some cellular scaffolding, some cellular folate, bypass the system a little, folinic acid, which is not methylated, is an excellent option. So brilliant, Dr. Munsur. I'm so excited to have spent this time with you to introduce your brilliance to our community. Thank you so much for joining us on the 15-Minute Matrix. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, along with production by Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll drop into your inbox with a super short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. If you have an open invitation to email us, please do. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. <laughs>